Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who is, he's being chased by the teenage FBI. Here's my co-host from the left coast and Mr. Buckles himself. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest who is the host of his own podcast called Melody Motel. So please welcome to the podcast, Lane Hewitt. Hey, guys. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I have one month left of summer vacation before I go back to work uh, in what hopefully is not a COVID-infested classroom. So uh, I, I can't complain too much. All right. Well, we'll, well, I think we'll ch- talk a little more about uh, your your occupation here in a moment. So, okay. Um, but uh, I got to tell you, the premise of our podcast fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, I ask the all important question. So, Wayne, let's start with you. What t shirt are you wearing? Yesterday, I finished uh, my left arm. I have. My, both my arms are completely tattooed and I got a shirt after my, I don't even, I couldn't even imagine how much it cost, but I did get a free t-shirt from Brian Meyer, my tattoo artist from Brazen Hearts. It's got a great, uh, like a Wu-Tang W and it says we're brazen across it. Okay. Uh, did he give you a discount for the free advertising that we just got him? Oh no, he's the best. He's the best. He's bringing the ruckus in Buckley. All right. Uh, what? One more time. What's the name of the tattoo parlor? Oh, Brazen Heart in Buckley, Brazen Washington. Heart. Okay, there you go. Uh, you're welcome, Brazen Heart. All right. How about you, Lane? What t-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing a Guided by Voices t-shirt. Oh, fantastic! All right. Yeah, I've I've got a couple. They're so old and ratty at this point. I really only wear them at home, but they're they're very comfortable. Uh, this one isn't tied to any particular uh, release or tour or anything. It's just kind of a generic t-shirt I bought from their website a few years ago. Gotcha. All right. And I'm wearing um, nothing, nothing new. I've worn this a couple times. So my Elvis Costello in the imposter shirt that uh, a certain somebody on this podcast gave me a while ago. Ah, that guy must be so cool. He is pretty <laughs> cool. I was about to say you're welcome, but it's probably apparent that it's not me. <laughs> exactly. So, so um, I always ask uh, when we have other podcasters on on the show. So, what what prompted you to start your own podcast? I'd say probably the biggest thing is just that I missed radio. I did college radio, and then I did community radio for a number of years. And where I live now, there's not really any kind of opportunity like that. So, I missed having that kind of avenue for self-expression and and being able to share music in that way. Uh, You know, I had gotten to the point where my friends just weren't listening to my mixtapes anymore and it made me sad. So, uh, you know, a a, a podcast kind of legitimizes it a little bit. And, and my podcast is, is kind of like a radio show in podcast form. It's, it's usually not geared to a lot of talking. Um, It's more just me playing music. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I I went and listened to uh, one of your episodes the other night because I was like, I, I probably should do a little extra research for for the podcast. <laughs> that's, that's funny that you say that because I did the exact same thing, and I feel like I'm not as prepared for this podcast as I normally am. 
because what happened was the other day I listened to, I wanted the same thing. I wanted, I wanted to hear a little bit of his podcast. And so his latest episode was with his good friend and on the black crows, which I yeah. absolutely love the black crows and your friend's discovery of the black crows is nearly identical to mine. And so all I've been doing for the last two days is listening to the black crows instead of, uh, Preparing notes for guided by voices, but it was, well, I absolutely loved it. What I, I couldn't, it was three and a half hours. So I only got through about the first. <laughs> I in no way plan for it to be that long, but, but I'm really glad you enjoyed it. And, you know, and that's one of the great things about podcasts is you, you hear something on them and then it spins you off into a whole other world of listening that you do on your own. And that, and that's great. I love that. Yeah. Three and a half hours, Wayne, <laughs> we, you, you were complaining about some of our two and a half hour episodes three and a half hours that was your your buddy scott i did uh yeah i didn't have a problem with it but i say i just you know i was walking through the store listening to it like i say he he i discovered the black crows almost in the exact same way i was i used to get up early i had to travel to seattle i'd be the only one up in the house and i turn mtv on and i saw the video for jealous again and I, I had to and in fact of all the concerts that i missed that i knew about that i regret the most they opened up for Robert Plant on the Now and Zen tour at the Paramount, mm. and I I had an opportunity to go and I I choked and didn't do it and I I heard about it the next day it was it was uh they 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 killed it they slayed it yeah it, I I was planning on going and seeing them this summer as well I have and, tickets uh, I didn't get tickets but I uh, I would I I definitely was that was on the list of ones that I'm like I'm, I'm gonna go to that one. So. Oh yeah, no, I have tickets. I was so excited, uh, and then it's. I apparently it's postponed for like a whole year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, going back to your episode, so I, I, you, I got hooked on your 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 podcast because uh, we did we did a couple episodes about Eddie Rabbit, and then somehow I don't know if you tweeted at us or you're like. Uh, so I just did a couple episodes about '80s country that yeah. probably fits right into to to what you guys were guys were t- guys were doing. So uh, I listened to those episodes; those were fantastic. That's kind of my uh, like I I I don't really like the new country stuff. That's no. what my wife my wife listens to. But uh, you know, going back uh, '80s '80s country is uh, that's some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm nostalgic for it, sure, because I grew up with it, but I legitimately think it's better. I, I just, uh, th- there's no comparison. Oh, yeah. I mean, Eddie Rabbit, Oak Ridge Boys, Alabama, Kenny Rogers. I mean, you can't go wrong with the, the 80s, 80s stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I got, I think I did 80s on one episode and nine, uh, maybe a mix of 80s and 90s yes. on the next episode. So, the nineties is kind of my cutoff. <laughs> I won't go yeah. any further than that. <laughs> yep. Understand. Uh, I did also go back to an episode because, uh, it, it, the title said melody motel gives thanks for Wilco. And yes. so I was like, Oh, he's probably, he's probably going to do a Wilco tribute episode. And you only played one. Wilco song <laughs> for that. that was me baiting people like you in by putting Wilco in the title. Yeah. It was the old classic bait and switch, but, uh, it worked. It worked. Yeah. See, worked. there you go. It's, it's time tested, but, uh, I do like Wilco a lot. I'm definitely more partial to the first 
four or five albums, I would say, but uh, okay. I, I definitely love and respect Wilco. So have you jumped off or are you just like a passive fan of the band now? I would say I'm a passive fan and, and I'm that way with a lot of bands. Um, once I, you know, and it's the same old story. Once I got married, started a family, started my career, my priorities changed stop going to the record store every Tuesday, you know, cause it used to be Tuesday, I guess it's Friday now, but right. you know, stop going yep. to the record store every Tuesday. And, um, so many bands have put out so much material that I'm just not as familiar with as I would have been when I was in my twenties and well, like well, guided by voices, like guided by voices, out like three albums a year. And yes, God, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, drinking from a fire hose. That's the analogy my friend made yesterday. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. Well, at least on that episode, you did redeem yourself by playing Angel Olsen. Ah. You played uh, you played the Bleeding Heart show, which is probably my favorite new pornographer song. Mm-hmm. And then and then of course you played Van Morrison, which um, Wayne, you realize we haven't done a Van Morrison episode yet. Yeah, well, I'm surprised somebody hasn't come up with Tupelo Honey, but I'm I'm okay. I think he's. I I know you are, but but I have more Van records than any other artist. Like I got sucked into the Van Vortex for (laughs) most of the '90s, and like I I well, yeah. I mean, I have I have I have every album from what '68 to probably '80. Well, when did Wavelength come out? Uh, early 80s. Yeah, so I I think I jumped off right at that point, but I also but then I jumped back in and the 90s Van Morrison is pretty strong stuff as well. So I'm a big Astral Weeks fan. Love Astral yeah. Weeks. Yeah, great 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 record. So, favorite Wilco song then? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I love that one-two punch of, of Misunderstood and Sunken Treasure from being there. It's pretty hard to beat those. Um, I still find myself going back to Shot in the Arm. Um, I love One by One from the first Mermaid Avenue. Yeah. So that's that's a handful. Okay. But being there was a life changer for me. That whole being there album is just unbelievable how many times you seen them live um probably four or five okay not in a long time either not since uh yankee hotel foxtrot so going back to the misunderstood what's the what's the most numbers of nothings that you heard in a row (laughs) oh gosh i mean i bet he i bet he did it 15 or 20 times okay I mean, I, I I may be exaggerating, but that's what it seemed like. It was it was shocking, you know, because Wilco were kind of a polite little country rock band, and then they came out with that album, and and we went to see them on that tour, and they were just a monster. Yeah, twenty twenty one. That's the record for. Oh, me. is it really? Okay, okay, twenty one. Yeah, and if and if the listeners and Wayne probably doesn't know this either, so um, towards the end of the the song, misunderstood. Uh, Tweety says, I want to thank you all for nothing. I want to thank you all for nothing at all. I want to thank you all for nothing, nothing, nothing. And I think in the song, it's what, three or four times? Mm-hmm. But 
live, they'll just continue to to say nothing until you know the crowd is all in a buzz and whatnot. So you have to be there. It's one of those just magical moments. <laughs> it really well, he's, is. He's so intense. I mean, at least he was then. You know, he was leaning forward and grabbing the microphone. His guitar was slung behind him, and it was just way more intensity than we had ever seen from Jeff Tweedy up to that point. And I, it was life-changing. Yeah, yeah. Wayne, you you uh, you still need to see Wilco live. And and I I have every intention, if they ever allow me to go to concerts again, my favorite Wilco song is Passenger Side, just in case, if, just in case anyone wanted to know. Yeah. <laughs> nothing wrong with that one. Nope, nothing wrong with that at all. Um, all right, so... Um, Toto's Africa, good or bad song, Lane? I guess I would go so far as to call it a good song. Um, it, it's a good pop single, you know. It's uh, It's got a good chorus. The lyrics don't make any sense, but this is a show about Guided by Voices, so that's probably not a fair criticism to talk about lyrics that don't make sense. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, we're going to bring up a lot of lyrics that don't make sense for this episode, for sure. For sure. Um so so we've been we've been trying to figure out a way to retire the, the Toto question. Mm-hmm. And so we we kind of flirted around that maybe we'll ask people their favorite Billy Joel album. Was it Billy Joel album or Billy Joel song? Billy Joel song. I think it says a lot about the person based on yeah. their favorite Billy Joel song. Their favorite Billy Joel song. So so are you are you a Billy fan at all? I wouldn't call myself a fan um, far as far as a favorite song goes. Wow. Put you on the spot. Yeah, Sorry. I'm just trying. I, just what pops into my head, I kind of like, I go to extremes. Okay. Um, I don't know a lot of his classic 70s material, I guess. Maybe that's a big hole for me. I just, I mainly know the 80s singles, you know, like, Uptown Girl and all that stuff. Uh, okay. Forward. I would recommend. Doing oh, wait a, a minute! Wait a minute! Seventy stuff. An innocent man. Let's go with an with. Let's go with an innocent man. I like that song a lot. That's still eighties. Yeah, still yeah. a good one though. Yeah, still still good, still good. Okay. All right. So so what what else you got coming up as far as episodes? I know um, you probably have a guided by voices episode or two in the works is that right well believe it or not i just posted one today and okay that um spun out of doing this one i was preparing for this one and having so much fun just re-listening to to gbv that i thought well i want to do some kind of got it by voices episode and i really wanted to do an episode with my best friend brandon and we had uh, talked about doing an oasis episode and uh, cause that's one band we both agree on. We both love, but it hadn't really come together. And I said, well, why don't we just do an episode where we both pick our favorite songs off the first dozen or so GBV albums. And that'll be really easy to prepare for. So um, we did the first half of that last night and I posted it today. So we'll be doing the second half of that one soon. And uh, I'm in talks with another friend of mine to do an episode devoted to Will Oldham, AKA Bonnie Prince, Billy. Hmm. So hopefully that one will come together. And um, beyond that, I, I was thinking about doing an episode of all live songs because I haven't done that yet. Not the band live, but 
I, I, I figured you Tom. didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't seem like an Ed Kowalsik type of, type of guy. So. I, I did go, I did see them live in the nineties and I, I, no pun intended. And I actually, I, I did like their first two albums quite a bit. It was, um, live with uh, love spit love opening. And now I think, Oh, what a thrill it would have been to see Richard Butler. If I had been more of a psychedelic furs fan at the time, uh, which I am more of a furs fan now. So I didn't really appreciate it then, but it was cool to see Richard. He's still phenomenal. Yeah. I saw, I saw psych furs, uh, what, three years ago. Um, Tommy Stinson and bash and pop opened up for, for, for them and it was just Richard still sounds fantastic. I've seen them a couple of times in 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 concert. They're great. And that dance he does that no one else does. Oh my gosh. With with the hands with the, the hand, hand over his head, yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> like he has imaginary castanets or something. That's it. That's it. All right. So 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 tell our listeners what record you chose to revisit for this episode. I chose Do the Collapse by Gotta Buy Voices from 1999. Okay. So, so why, why this particular one? I thought this would be a fun one to talk about because it's somewhat controversial in the GBV catalog. And uh, it's an anomaly because it's the only time they ever worked with what I would consider to be a big name producer. They, they had a guy named Rob Schnopf produce a couple of their other albums who I think has some pretty extensive credits, but this one was produced by Rick Ocasek and uh, this was their swing for the fences. You know, this was their attempt to have a big hit single and uh, they were on a new label, which was arguably a major label. Some people say it was just a large indie label, but whatever the case, this was a lot different album for them with a lot of different sounds and a much different production. And so I thought it would be, interesting to dig into yeah and not to steal the thunder from from your own episode um about guided by voices but kind of give me a background on how you got introduced to 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 the band and um maybe a little background for for our listeners who aren't super familiar with guided by voices oh sure um i first got into them by reading about them in spin And the writer that was writing about them was a guy named Jim Greer, who um, was married to Kim Deal of Pixies and Breeders, um, who's also from Dayton, Ohio. And um, Jim Greer actually ended up becoming GBV's bass player later on, which is kind of weird for a journalist and super fan to end up playing in the band. But that's what happened. And uh, I got interested in them from what he was writing. And then I saw them at Lollapalooza 94 on the second stage thought they were pretty cool. And then uh, my friend bought B thousand and I tried to get into it over and over again for about a year or so. And I just couldn't do it um, because of the production. Uh, I just couldn't, couldn't get past the the lo-fi production. It just um, was so unlike anything that I had heard that it, that it, I, I couldn't take the record seriously for that reason. And then I listened and listened and it, it finally clicked with me. And then I was hooked. I had to have everything and um, everything that they were putting out. Then I loved, you know, that's not necessarily the case now, but um, from 93, 94 up through the mid two thousands, when they broke up for the first time, I loved everything. Um, as far as background on the band, um, 
the mastermind of GBV is, is Robert Pollard, who was a fourth grade teacher in Dayton, Ohio. And he was a three sports star and a um, scholarship baseball player at Wright State and uh, comes from a big sports family. His brother was Mr. Basketball in Ohio and went and played basketball for Arizona State and blew out his knee or he probably would have been in the NBA. So it was kind of this jock environment, but um, he always loved music and loved to write songs. And um, as he continued in his teaching career, he uh, continued playing music and um, formed many different versions of Guided by Voices over the years. Um, finally, it got to the point where he was going to have to give it up. His wife and his family were putting pressure on him to stop because he was spending time and money on the band and it wasn't going anywhere. Nobody in Dayton thought that they were any good. Um, and their manager, who was a shop teacher um, that Bob knew there in Dayton, a guy named Pete Jamison, sent what was supposed to be their last album, Propeller, out to record companies and reviewers without Bob knowing. And it made its way to um, Scat Records. And um, the head of Scat Records liked them and uh, put out the album. And um, then all of a sudden they became really hip uh, with indie musicians. And they ended up playing this famous New York show that the Beastie Boys and Sonic Youth and Henry Rollins and all these people came to see them play. And um, from then on, they were, they were a sensation. You know, Pollard claims to have written more songs than anybody else in history. And I, I don't doubt it. You know, he records and releases music constantly. Yeah. He, he doesn't, he doesn't do a lot of self-editing, does he? No, no. Uh, you know, and that's, that's a big sticking point with a lot of people with this band. Everybody says, well, not everybody, but a, a lot of critics will say, and a lot of fans will say, why did he put out five or six mediocre albums when he could have saved back those songs or maybe refined them a little bit, little bit and put out two really good albums. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just not his way. You know, he, he just likes the, the endless flow and he's very, stubborn and defiant about it. He he's made it very clear. He's not a guy that you're going to tell what to do. He wants to do it his way. So, right. um, and, and he, he's lucky to have a band and, and people around him and, and the records are pretty much self-released at this point. So he can just do everything on his own schedule and, and, you know, no one's ever going to tell him no again. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to the, the producer. So, so, Rick Ocasek, um produced it. How many other of their records since the nineties ha has an outside producer come in and said, um, this is, this is what we need to do for these songs. Um, from my understanding is none. Um, yeah. I, like I said, they had Rob Schnopf on, Isolation Drills, and which was the follow-up to um, Do the Collapse, and then maybe one more album after that. And But I think he pretty much let the band do what they wanted. He just tried to capture their live sound, and, and the sound is hi-fi in comparison to something like B-1000 or Vampire on Titus, but um, right. still nowhere near as, as polished or embellished as Do the Collapse. Yeah, and, and, and Wayne, you can... You can chime in here on this guided by voices has always been for me like a, a number of other bands that i like what i've heard but it doesn't like prompt me to buy any of their records 
after we did our episode with um, John Easdale of Dramarama. And I, and I like the record that he chose and, you know, and I even admitted, I'm like, I really haven't listened to a whole lot of kinks records and I don't know why. Cause I, I like a lot of what I hear, but I just haven't gone down the rabbit hole. So I, I was listening to a kinks record just about every day for, for a couple of weeks. And, and again, I liked what I hear, but it didn't prompt me to like go and buy any of their vinyl. I, and I, I guess my it, guided by voices is a name I always hear. Um, I've heard it for years and listening to certain songs on this, I, I don't understand why they're not bigger, but when he said, when he, when he talked about uh, Robert Pollard and the, the, the lack of, of self-editing, like there's so many songs on here where I have comments that are about, it's too thin. Like there's not enough, like he got me interested in this idea, but then he just leaves. Like there's, I, I listened to this and I had heard the criticisms about Rick Ocasek and how he polished it up, which I don't think are necessary. It doesn't sound overproduced. It sounds properly produced. And mm-hmm. he did do a couple of things on a couple of songs. I feel like you can hear the cars all over or cars elements, but there's so many times when I, when he just, he, he starts something that he gets me interested and he leaves me flat. And they, I listen to, uh, what is it? Maggie Irwig to get some sort of point of reference to, mm-hmm. you know, can I make this decision on myself on my own? And there's 21 songs on that record and they are almost identical in format where he gets you hooked in and then he, he just cuts to the next song. And, and I think Rick Ocasek got him windled down to 16 and a couple of songs that I can't believe weren't bigger on alternative radio at the late, in the late nineties, early two thousands. Agreed. Yeah. I think to really buy into guided by voices, you have to enjoy the fact that the songs cut off before they seem complete rather than be irritated by it. Um, it's, it's this idea, I think that he's taking all of the dynamics from a four or five minute song and kind of compressing them down into a couple minutes. And I think the people that love the band most really dig that about them. And and I think the other thing is the live show. I think you kind of have to, you have to see them live and you have to, to buy into that experience. Um, and if you, I, I can't imagine loving the band as much as I do without seeing them live because that is a big part of it. So, so I know they've got a, a a live concert that is being streamed, and I think it. I think I saw tickets are like twenty bucks. So, yeah. Should I splurge? Should I? Should I? Should I? Should I buy the concert? Um, I don't think that you're gonna hate it. Um. I would probably listen to their last couple records first uh, because you're probably going to hear a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and then maybe listen to their greatest hits album. And cause you're probably going to hear a lot of that too. Um, it, it's definitely not going to be like being there because you're not going to be singing along at the top of your lungs and, and Bob's not going to be able to throw you a beer from the stage and, you know, you're, you're not going to be surrounded with all of your friends, you know, by all of your friends having this communal experience with you. But, um, you sure. know, it, it's it, it could be a fun evening. Yeah, you could recreate I, that in your home, I guess. I, yeah, n- nobody in my house is going to watch that with me. So. <laughs> I, I feel your pain. 
<laughs> yeah, because so so going back to the the you know what I mentioned about I've liked what I've listened to. I mean, Wayne, a year ago we had Doug Gillard on. Oh, star of this show, I think. I think yeah, he's really the star of the show. He he jumped he jump started us for sure. Mm-hmm. That's that's a whole other episode we can talk about of our referral sources and. Doug gave us cred because he came on our podcast. I got to interview Doug in my past life as a small town rock journalist. Yeah. And he's great. Great Great guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I listened to the, at the time was their, their new release, which was Zeppelin over China. And I really liked it. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know why I just never went back to it Mm. until the, until this week, which I listened to again. And I really dig the record. It's great. And I don't know why I just haven't, they're just not in my rotation. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have, do you guys have bands that are like that where you're like, I like what I hear, but I don't know. There's something that just, it's not, it's not in heavy rotation for you. Drive by truckers. Welcome. See there. That's another band for me. Like I like what I hear and then mm-hmm. I just don't. Yeah. How about you, Wayne? You got any bands like that? Wilco. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, so we've talked about Robert Pollard. So for this record, it is Doug, which play who plays guitar, provides some, some backing vocals, um, I guess he plays some keys on this too, right? And, and I will say this, uh, it'll come up in the first song. If he does, then I know which ones. And what I meant by star of the show is I think Doug Gillard's guitar is the star of this record. Yes. I wouldn't dispute that. Yes, I, I would agree. Now, now, Wayne, you, you brought up, uh, Meg Earwig. So, and and Lane, you can probably chime in on this because you know the history better than 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 we do. Um, so for the prior record, Pollard had essentially um, did he kick all the guys out of his band and and recruit Cobra Verde to be the backing band. Sure did. Is that how he got? Yeah, is that how he got Doug? That's how he got Doug. <laughs> and, He's and John Pakovic, who was a, another one of our, our yeah, guests. That was, who was, yeah, that was mm-hmm. Doug's, Doug's referral. Doug's referral. Um, John John is on Mag Ear, Earwick. Mm-hmm. But then Doug is the only one that he retained for the band going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how he managed that because he did those guys in Cobra Verde pretty dirty. Um, do you guys remember the website Addicted to Noise? Yeah. 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 It, Bob was out on tour with all those Cobra Verde guys um, playing the Mag Earwick stuff, and Bob let it slip to a reporter from Addicted to Noise that he was getting ready to fire <laughs> everybody, oh, wow. everybody in Cobra Verde, except he really wanted to hold on to Doug, but the rest of them he was done with. And um, Bob didn't understand that when you tell an internet reporter something, it shows up on the internet the next day. So, <laughs> so these guys go and read this and they've got to play a show within that night. And they, they were all understandably pretty upset and um, were you know, kind of hazing each other and stuff for a few uncomfortable days. And I think the tour ended pretty quickly after that, but somehow Bob was able to, to mend fences with Doug Gillard and Doug has been his, right-hand man ever since. I mean, it just, GBV would not be the same without Doug at this point. 
No, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's jump into the record. So as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? 16. 16, which means top song is going to get 16 points. Nick's favorite song, 15 points on down to lowest score of one. Let's kick this off. Here's Teenage FBI. The riff underneath the song is super reminiscent of surprise, a car song. The, the whole song doesn't necessarily sound like a car song, but there's some no. great cars elements. First of all, that the, the those quirky, you know, underlying paranoia lyrics, I, I think have a kind of a sense of the cars and some stuff, you know, that Rick Ocasek would do. But there's a part where the keyboard riff comes in and it, pulls it all together. Like I say, Very this is much. the one song that I, I heard and I thought I could, I could see like diehard uh, guided by voices, Luddites hating this song. Cause it, this is could have, this should have been one of the biggest songs of the late nineties. I mean, this is a great song. And like I say, I can, there's Rick Ocasek all over this thing, but mm-hmm. does it without making it sound like a car song. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you didn't know that Rick produced this, would would you still have that same same opinion of oh this sounds like a car song in certain parts? Yeah, and I don't like say I don't think it sounds like a car song. I think it just takes some of the, no, the really elements cool elements of a car song mm-hmm. and puts it. Yeah, I think especially after you know we really deep dived into their debut album and and all of the stuff. I've been listening to the Cars for God, what is it thirty years, thirty five years, and. uh that keyboard riff is so Greg Hawks. It is so Greg Hawks. Like you yeah. can't, when I hear it, when I heard it, I was like, oh, he lifted that. He, you know, Rick Ocasek <laughs> might've played that for him. Something he heard. Yeah. Lane, what do you got on Teenage FBI? I love it. Um, this was an old song that they re-recorded. Um, it was on an EP two years before Do the Collapse came out. And when you go back and listen to the original version of it, it sounds puny. Um, mm-hmm. compared to this one, this, this is a huge improvement. And, you know, I, I had been all the way with them through all the recording on the four track in the basement and the garage and, you know, the really dirty hissy sounding recordings. And I, I loved this. Uh, I, I love those synth touches. I, I, I love the, the sort of cars trademarks on it and, and Ocasek's fingerprints on it. And, uh, Gillard's guitar solo is amazing. And, um, I think you, 
I think Wayne referred to the kind of paranoia of the lyrics. I think it's a really universally relatable song, maybe much more so than a lot of their other songs on this album, which are kind of inscrutable. You know, everyone's had that feeling of you're around somebody that you're trying to impress. And so you act differently than you normally would. And you end up making a fool of yourself. Um, And that's what this song is about. And then he throws in that line about when you clean out the hive, does it make you want to cry? You're still being followed by the teenage FBI. And that's about him being a teacher and getting caught picking his nose at his desk by a student. (laughs) Perfect. So I, I, I like the, the vulnerability and, and the relatability of that lyric. So yeah, it's a it, great song. Great way to kick off the album. Those huge masked guitars just sound so good. So I, I love it. Yeah. All right. Let's get some scores. Wayne, what do you got? A uh, 15. And like he had mentioned it, I think it had to be first. Yeah. I think it just, it sounds so different and it, it does have a little bit, I mean, it, when you put yourself back in 1999, this I just can't believe this wasn't a bigger hit. But it it, yeah. it had to be first. I feel like. Yeah, Lane, what do you got? I've got a 12 on this one. All right, and I got a 14 on this, which leads us to next song, which is Zupai. So we, we just gushed all over Teenage FBI, and I my notes here says, this has all the muffled voice vocals that I know from previous GBV songs. This is the lo-fi song as the antidote to the previous song, which I kind of felt was, that was sending a message of, you know what, this album is going to be a little different. After I listened to Mag Earwig, this sounds this song sounds more classic, you know, GBV. My limited what my limited frame of reference, this sounds much closer to the stuff I heard on that. Um, and I will say this: even though there's not a lot of lyrics, it still seems like a fuller concept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, and I'm not going to lie, Zupai sounds gross. And if almost like an urban dictionary sexual act involving feces. So I had to lower the score. Yeah. yeah. And and you you mentioned this sounds like an earlier album. Well, I just listened to Surrender Your Poppy Field, which is their release from, from this year. And I could totally hear Zupai being a song on that record. Like that's that's the formula that I feel like is on a lot of their records of this lo-fi muffled vocals, but still has that edgy um, attitude toward towards it and guitar based, very guitar based. Lyrically. I think this is kind of part of a tradition of got it by voices, character songs where he will, 
come up with some weird phrase like Zupai and he's singing it to a person named that because if you look at the lyrics, it seems like it's written in encouragement to a person named Zupai. You know, come on, baby, do it. We know that you can. Zupai, I know that you can. You know, so that's about as deep as the lyrics go, I guess. But <laughs> I, I think the real star of this song, as far as people in the band go, is Jim McPherson, the drummer. Drummer. Um, yeah. He's got those big, powerful drum rolls going through this one. And this one just has a, uh, sounds like a good cranking mid tempo 70s rock song with some, you know, good 70s rock vocals from Bob. And um, the chorus really kicks it up a notch. It, it was a good live song back when they used to play it live. So, yeah, there, there's not a whole lot of, of meat on the bone lyrically, but but it is a good little song. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is my five. Wayne, what do you got? A six. And Lane? Five for me, too. All right. Next song is Things I Will Keep. I'm going to bet that most GBV fans don't like this song that much. Let me, uh, let, and let me, and let me tell you why. Okay. Cause, cause that, that first synth that you hear, it sounds more like a snow patrol song than it does a GBV song. <laughs> Nothing. I'm not knocking snow patrol. I have a couple other albums in my, in my collection. So, um, but, but it doesn't have that GBV, um, feel to it this song actually has been pretty enduring in their catalog and and one that they do still play live lot live a lot and um i think most of the fan base probably has responded to it more so than i have um for years it always struck me as being a little bit flat um now when i listen to it i i it's subtle um but it's a really nice song um, really well constructed, you know, just a nice melancholy mid-tempo rocker. You know, it, it's it's not going to blow anybody away, I don't think, but but it's it's fine. Yeah, and we haven't even touched on well, besides just Zupai, uh, but we haven't really touched on the the nonsensical lyrics of a lot of these the songs. I this is the song where I. I either started to feel this guy is a fucking genius or he is fucking <laughs> with all of us. Because when you read the lyrics, the coded ancient decrees, you know, the way of doing things old, like the Bible and all of this stuff. And then the unlock the timers and strike the chimers in my sleep, like schedules and clocks, like all this stuff you do in your day-to-day life. He he escapes in this fantasy world where I, there's a mention of the fleece, which when Jason and the mm-hmm. Argonauts, the fleece made you king. So, I mean, 
in his dreams, he is whatever he wants to be. And so, but it, it gets hard. Like I'm not, I'm struggling to try to decipher this all on my own with very limited exposure to this band. And I just thought either this guy is amazing or he is making, he's fucking with everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I think you did a much better job interpreting it than, than most people would do. And, you know, and I think that's, that's what he's going for. And that's, that's the beauty of the songs is um, they read as abstract poetry, but they are very ambiguous and open to interpretation in a good way. I I don't know if he's always extremely deliberate about it, but uh, the turns of phrase are really dazzling, you know, coded ancient decrees, unlock the timers and strike the chimers in my sleep. It just has such a nice lyrical sound to it. And, And then you can, take that and interpret however you like. Yeah. And like I say, the second part, the second section, even when you look at it to those who count less numbers, if you put it in the sense of money, the people who have less money, and then it's, then it, it's like you go, you hide away in these, you go to sleep and you're whoever you want to be. You're with, Mm -hmm. you know, all these things are attainable in this, in this point at this part of your life. And so, like I say, I'm like, I don't know if I nailed it or if he got me, he caught, he hooked me too. Yeah. And that's why I keep you around Wayne. It's your <laughs> lyrical prowess. So, and there's one nice romantic line in there too. On the right night, you'll find her waiting. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a nice thought. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, scores Wayne. Lane, not Wayne. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said Wayne. No, it's really, it's really close. Lane. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, I have six. All right. Wayne. I feel like I unlocked it. So I gave it a 10. (laughs) All right. And this is my eight. All right. Next song is Hold On Hope. I just finished binge watching the entire series of scrubs and the <laughs> okay. song was used. The song was used in one of the episodes. And if you're thinking about binging scrubs piece of advice, skip season nine. Cause it sucks. <laughs> All right, there you go. Um, you guys listen to the Glenn Campbell version of this. I did. I did not. I'm a big Glenn Campbell fan. So I, I had to listen to it. Yeah, it's good. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not a super big Glenn Campbell fan, but um, yeah, I liked it. Um, Wayne, what do you got on this? Because uh, I don't understand it. Give, 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 give me, I, give me what, some lyrical. It has some. What the the thing to me was it had a very uh, that you know that late '90s, early 2000s. There was a lot of these rock spiritual bands, Sixpence, None the Richer, Switchfoot. I think. I would. I don't know if Sister Hazel would like me putting them in that category, but I think even to a sense, not a surf. So there's this. It felt 
it felt like he was writing somebody else's song. Um, okay. I think in a lot of ways, it's 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 one of the the more classically good songs. But it de- it definitely always felt out of place. But there were some great lines about you know, like the talk box and the cowboy. Like I feel like he's the cowboy in you know it's somebody from a bygone you know era, somebody who doesn't fit in today's society and then the reference to the television and i like i say the television's influence has only gotten worse um so there were i thought there was some strong commentary in this song that there's a lot of and i don't i almost think that he's probably doing it on purpose because there's a lot of fantasy fictional characters really bunched up in the beginning um buddha peter pan uh even references voodoo but all of the while kind of using this kind of god kind of reference or allusion to so it it definitely made me think of bands like Switchfoot and Sixpence None the Richer. Interesting. So that's so. Who's the cowboy? Because he keeps the bringing up on like, the... to me the, the the narrator. Like if you don't feel like this time is for you, like you would have been better in the old west where there was no TV. You know, you know, sleeping hmm. out under the stars. Kind of. Uh, it felt like a guy you know who doesn't fit in today's in today's society. Okay. Lane, what do you think of that analysis? Well, just to, to to jump off from that, you know, so maybe Bob would have been better in the 60s or 70s is is what he's thinking there, according to that interpretation, because that's certainly the era that inspires him and that he still reveres. So maybe he feels like he would have been better appreciated by the mainstream public if he had been working during the 60s or 70s. But uh I, I love this song. Um, I, I rank it pretty high, higher than I thought I would. But when I, when I went back and listened to it, you know, I can't deny I really do love this song. There's some lyrically, there are some really good, simple lines in here, too. Like, you know, just reaching out for a hand that we can't see, um, you know, speaks to yearning for something, you know, spiritual or something beyond yourself um, invitation to the last dance. And then it's time to leave. That's just such a great, like melancholy junior high heartbreak type of line that I, that I really like. And, you know, everybody's got to hold on hope. It's the last thing it's holding me. It's kind of corny, but it works. And I, I just, it's, it's a beautiful song. I, I think he kind of disowns it. Um, he, well, he disowned it pretty much immediately. And, um, this was the song that got them the deal with TVT, but Okazik still had to talk him into putting it on the album. He was always just a little bit ashamed of it. And then um, putting it out as a single turned into a, a mess for them because the label wanted to remix it and the band didn't like any of the remixes and just denied the label, the ability to promote them and kind of killed all their goodwill with the label. They, they had a remix done by this producer named Jack Joseph Puig, um, who was supposed to be the radio hit maker of the time. Um, and it's really weird what he did with it. Um, to me, it sounds less commercial than the original version. It's, it's almost like he tried to turn it into a Beck song or something, but, um, oh. but, uh, you know, I, I never expected it to be a big hit. You know, that, that was the big hope was that this or teenage FBI was going to be a big hit, especially this song. And as, as pretty and kind of schmaltzy as it is, it's still just a little bit too weird. 
Um, you know, there's just a little bit of a lumpiness to some of those lyrics, like Animal Mother opens up for free and stuff that doesn't really fit and is probably going to stop somebody dead in their tracks if they do hear that on the radio between, um, you know, sw- you know, Switchfoot and Creed and Corn and whatever else was big at that time. Um, so it's just, it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful song, but it's just, you know, 25% too weird, maybe. Yeah. Well, I dig it. This, uh, I gave this my 15 and then Lane 13 and then Wayne. I gave it a nine, but I do want to point out one thing I noticed every time it came on is if you don't use strings a lot, when you do put them in, it packs a bigger punch. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Next song in stitches. I predicted that this was going to be Wayne's favorite song <laughs> and I'm, and I was so wrong. I'm getting really bad Wayne at predicting yeah, you your scores. It, yeah. it's a, Cause this, I will say this. Um, I have, I thought this might be my least favorite song at one point, Wow. Oh um, my. but because I guess because it, it, this song is all over the place stylistically, like when it starts with those, with those guitar riffs and then that, it almost has an Ozzy era Black Sabbath feel to it, um, you know, a la Warpigs kind of thing. And I at first didn't like that, but then grew to like that because the next part it kind of it kind of morphs into this Pink Floyd song, and then it has a very heavy guitar riff that when you start to when you re, when you repeat a heavy guitar riff over and over, you sound like a Tool song. So. It's now it's just I got there's too much going on and it's trying it's almost like it's trying to be too many different things. And lyrically, I I really would say that I didn't pay a lot of attention to it because musically it was it, it kept changing what it, it kept changing. If I if I started to like it, it just kept it moved on to something else. Yeah, I thought it was heavier, which is why I kind of predicted that this would be your song, but. You are becoming less predictable. It's like you're, it's like you're evolving or something. Uh, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to stay one step ahead of you. You are. You're definitely. I'm not on my game. Um, I do love one of the notes I got here is I love when the band shouts the human amusements at hourly rates. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, and like that's very Pink Floyd, the Wall kind of thing, though. Like, cause it, it definitely takes a shift hmm. before okay. in the section where that happens. And then it, when it ends it with that, it definitely reminded me like of the wall. It kind of had this weird element to it, but like I say, it shifted. It just kept changing into something else. I apparently need to listen to the wall again. Cause I did not get that, but okay. How about you, Lane? What do you got on this song? Just listen to in stitches again. It's a lot shorter and maybe <laughs> yeah. same thing out of it. That's for sure. Um, 
I, I like this one. Um, I'm, you know, it's kind of in the middle of the pack as far as my rankings go, but, um, I think if I had to try to trace the inspiration for this one, I think it goes back to Bob's love of the band wire. Um, okay. Specifically the wire album One Fifty Four, um, which whenever they ask him to list his favorite albums is always right up there near the top. Um, a lot of songs on that album have kind of a grinding industrial gray kind of quality. So I think that's, that type of song sort of filtered through um, Bob and Doug's classic rock sensibility. Um, so you've got that great riff from Doug. And and then I think the section that Wayne maybe was talking about when he talked about how it becomes a Pink Floyd song, there's kind of an eerie um, mellow section before it goes back into that main heavy riff. Um, so it's, there is a lot going on, but I, I enjoy this song. All right. What's your score on this? I got seven. All right. Wayne? A four. And like I say, I, I like so many of the elements. I just, I think I, I would have wanted them to stick with one or two. A four. I was way off. Uh, it. This is my six. All right. And next song is, should, do I have to shout this? Because there's an exclamation point at the end. <laughs> Dragons awake! There, that's 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 my uh, dramatic interpretation of the song title. You almost sounded like him singing the first line, so yeah, it's fine. Wayne, you uh, you didn't like this song. No, and I didn't like it from the first time. I, and I can say, it's not that I, I dislike it with any sort of a passion. I just, when I listened to this song, I knew that this would be my least favorite song. And part of it, I'm not going to lie, is the reference to dragons always turns me off right away. Uh, it absolutely does. Because you know what I expected? Because this does have, it sounds like the soft, sweet, first part of a tenacious d song before they they flip it and turn all face melting oh, that's yeah. exactly okay. because and that uh, that that acoustic guitar strum which gives it the minstrel kind of feel at first is so is so singular and repetitive that it becomes obnoxious uh so but yeah i ultimately he turned me off with dragons right away <laughs> so let me ask your opinion of this wayne so i wrote down this sounds like it could be on a straub's record Oh, absolutely. 100%. Okay. Okay. All right. Glad no, we're in agreement on that. I'm not too familiar with the Straubs. That's that's 70s Brit folk, right? Oh, well, you're more familiar than we were before we did a podcast on them. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like Fairport Convention-y kind of stuff? Uh, very much so. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um. Are either of you going to mention the ridiculous, the uh, ridiculous lyrics? Softer tits will greet you. 
Uh, I was trying to keep it uh, PG-13. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, yeah, it and be, that's and that's and that's ridiculous. But whatever. whatever. It would be funny if that got bleeped. I almost want to hear that bleeped now. That would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I like the song probably better than either of you did. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm a hometown referee when it comes to Gotta Buy Voices. I'm I'm willing to indulge some of their their sillier tendencies, but. Uh, um, you know, I think it has a beautiful melody and um, they actually, if, if you don't like the acoustic-ness of this, they there's a full band version of it too that rocks out. And that's the way that they oh, okay. play it live. And, and, and that was cool too. I, I think some people maybe would appreciate the song better in that form. But, um, you know, it's it's a minor song, but it's it's good. Yeah. So obviously Pollard is not a fan of Silicone. Is that, is that what he's saying? Well, and I will only mention this because Lane went there first, but <laughs> how dirty is sprinkle the pearls over the ham? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't going to bring that one up either. Well, I, you know what? I, I did my best, but. Just wait till we get to Liquid Indian. The, that has the album's most disgusting lyric, in my opinion. We'll see if you guys pick it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. All right, Lane, what's your score? I gave this a nine. And then Wayne. This was my least favorite song. All right. This is my four. All right. Next song, Surgical Focus. you guys care that the second verse is basically just the first verse repeated no but that's but at this point no because it happens so frequently i mean many of these songs don't have a second verse many of these i mean he does a he does a first verse and kind of a bridge or refrain into a pre-chorus into a chorus and then he either does the whole thing again or certain portions of it again maybe he'll give us a second verse i don't think there's a single song with a third verse Oh, well, the third verses are usually done in minute three or minute four. If you get that far. Yeah, and most of the songs don't get that far. Um, but the, the chorus is great. Oh, like, he, I, and I this, love this the chorus. This chorus, but he, yeah, many of the choruses. There's And one in particular towards the end. But this one, I the first time I heard the song, I knew it was going to be my favorite song. And I still had, you know, there still were some songs to go, but I, I knew I, there's, there's something about the, the idea of surgical focus, this, this precision with which she's, she wants to get to know you or get inside your head. But to me, Doug Gillard and the guitar and, and sonically is where this thing soars. Like as it goes, it just soars into that pre-chorus about the Rocky cliffs and it just, is that it's it's about how this song is much more about how it sounds than what it says. See, I didn't pick this as your top s- score because I felt like this was 
this was more on the pop rock side I'm of things. A, I'm a power pop sucker. All right. Well, then I'm, I should have known. <laughs> Lane, what do you got on Wait, this? Wayne's an enigma, man. You can't put him in a box. Yeah, you got to keep moving. Yeah, you got to keep moving around. <laughs> yeah. moving that's target. not true. Not That's not true. A year ago, total box. <laughs> No. He's evolved. I'm telling you, he's evolved. No, I, I, I think if anything had a real chance at becoming, I guess, a rock radio hit on the album, it would have been this. It's just almost as perfect as you could ask for. Um, I, I feel the same way you guys did about the lyrics. I think the lyrics hold together really well. It's, it's really easy to to lock in on what he's talking about, and it just the melody just soars when he sings. Um, until I get it, I can't breathe. Um, again, Doug Giller, top to bottom, great guitar work. Um, just a, a wonderful song. Uh, it's just you know too bad, too bad more people won't hear it. Yeah, yeah, agreed. This is my top song. Wayne. Oh, we're B two. I know that's that's How what I'm just like. Happen? Not often at all. <laughs> Lane, what do you got? This is fourteen. Okay. So Nick's song is Optical Hopscotch. Not to be confused with mental hopscotch, mental hopscotch because, which I love, and this one not so much. That's a missing person song. Yeah. Um, did anyone think that the look look was the opening for this song? Is it the end of the other song? That's the, that's the end of the other song. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I, I associate it with this song, yeah. uh, especially okay. optical and look look. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So apparently they should have put it at the beginning because if you track it on Spotify, look, look is on uh, yeah. the previous song. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, how come you didn't like this as much, Wayne? Well, it's clunky. And number one, the I'd say the best part of this song is the is where they double up his vocals, um, and that's it. Like I say, lyrically, um, I was. There's no talk of dragons on this one. <laughs> no, but you know what? But also, uh, Dale Bazio set the bar high with mental hopscotch. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to play hopscotch. Did you go there too? To me- oh, absolutely. It's yeah. literally in my notes to mention mental hopscotch. Yeah. The best kind yeah. of hopscotch. It is. Yeah. That's one of the best songs of the 80s. Um, all right, Lane, what do you got on this one? I really like this song a lot. Nobody ever talks about this song, but I think it's really underrated um i i like what wayne said a, a second ago about 
you know, songs being more about how they sound than, than what they're about. I think you said it more eloquently than I just did, but um, I think when you put the lyrics and the music together on this, there's a real psychedelic effect. And I think the chorus is just killer. Um, just that kind of lazy, um, beetly chorus that you don't really expect to be in this song. I thought I expected this song to be more like in stitches, I guess the first time I heard it. Um, but then they get into that chorus and I think takes it somewhere completely different. So I, I just, I love the phrase optical hopscotch. It just sounds cool. It's fun to say, and, and it puts an interesting image in your mind. And, um, I, I think it's a really underrated song. Yeah. I like the journey that it kind of takes me on, yeah. which is why I rated it way higher than Wayne. Um, this was my 12. Wayne, what do you got? Like I say, I gave it a two because it doesn't lyrically and conceptually it's thin, but I got to, I have to admit that the, when they double up his vocals on the, now we are over here part, that is by far the coolest part of the song. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Lane, what's your score? 11. Okay. Next song is Mushroom Art. And uh, first time I listened to this song while also reading the lyrics, I was like, what in the world is mushroom art? It's just <laughs> another one of Pollard's phraseology. You didn't Google it? I Googled mushroom art and there's, there, <laughs> there's a whole, happened. there's a whole genre of art dedicated to the painting of mushrooms. Just Google yeah. it. It's, I was, I was a little disappointed. It has a creepy sound to it too, but uh, this is the one, this is, it's close with another one, but this is the one I feel like I wish he would have put more for lack of a better word effort into. Cause I feel like this one ends abruptly and leaves me want, mm-hmm. I was maybe disappointed. Like there's a, um, the reference to the crow and I believe it actually even says uh, dead dream. So she didn't break up with him. I think she died. And so now he just spends his day painting mushrooms. But I mean, there's so there's such a great start. There's so much to this. Then he, then he just leaves me unfulfilled for, a la- for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah, we haven't really even touched on the brevity of some of these songs. So this song looking at uh, this song is a minute and 48 yeah. seconds long. Um, and this is one of the songs that I even wrote. I would have loved for this to have been a third verse, which doesn't happen <laughs> often for them. But um, yeah, this would have been a, a cooler song for me if it would have just been a little more going back to the previous song of taking me on a journey. I felt like kind of takes you there that um, just what you were saying, Wayne, that maybe she died and, that's all I'm left with is just my mushroom art. So, <laughs> yeah, but you got to tell me more about it because, like I say, the I know again, the most- Doug Gillard is killing it. 
And you have this great, you know, he starts me out with this great song. Like I'm, I'm, I'm emotionally invested in this song very early on. And then he just <laughs> at under two minutes leaves me and goes to the next one. Somebody explained to me what a bejeweled crow, a bejeweled crow on a quilted tent is. <laughs> you don't have, I mean, it, it's self-explanatory. I mean, the, you know, clearly this crow is, is it? Is <laughs> okay. He's got his hat. He's, he's bejeweled, right. but crows symbolize death. Going so, back I to mean, dragons. Oh, that's, that's, that, you know what? If he would, if it would have been a bejeweled dragon, that fucking would have been over. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have any of the same feelings that I have about the song. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Lane, we'll I, shut up. What do you got? I, I like, I like how lively the conversation is about this song because I truly did expect you guys to maybe gloss over this one a little bit, I guess, because most people do. And, when you read the reviews of this album, some of which were really bad, um, like um, the Pitchfork review of it that said the circle jerk is over, for example. But yeah, but uh, screw Pitchfork. Yeah, screw yeah. Pitchfork. I, yeah. I say lots of stupid stuff. I agree. Um, but I think this one is another underrated one. And I, I agree. It has a really moody, turbulent feel to it. And I, I think it goes perfectly with that opening lyric. Living without you is difficult, but our dead dreams awake in my mushroom heart. Um, you know, it's just so sad. The idea that the relationship is over for whatever reason, maybe it was a breakup or maybe she died or whatever, but the things that they dreamed of doing together aren't going to happen now. They're now dead. And so he's going to express those things through his art. You know, that that's how I interpret that. And he was in the middle of breaking up with his wife, of many years, um, right around this time. Um, th- this isn't really known as the divorce album. The, the one after that isolation drills is kind of his blood on the tracks, um, divorce album. But, um, okay. I, knowing that that was going on during his life, I guess that that lyrics make that lyric makes me think of that. Um, as far as the other stuff, like a bejeweled crow on a quilted tent. Yes. At the Zenith, our dead dreams awake. um, you know, it just sounds cool. Um, I've got in, in my notes in capital letters here, I have poetry candy. Um, and, and that's what it's like for me. You know, it, it may not be nourishing. It may not be good for you, but darn it. You know, when you're listening to it, it just sounds cool. And there's another lyric in there about a cloud faced old man who tests him. And I wrote very dungeons and dragonsy. So they didn't even have to mention dragons, but it made me think of that. <laughs> Um, you know, so, you know, some people might listen to it and kind of hear Sid Barrett, you know, it's, uh, it's a cool little song. Um, the the chorus just really soars in it, I think. And I am with you guys. I I think this could have been longer. I'm so accustomed to got it by voices songs being really short, you know, I mean, they're 42nd got it by voices songs that I love, but, um, he could have easily done a little bit more with this one. And I think it would have been really worth pursuing. Um, if you like this song and you want to hear more, not exactly the same vibe, but uh, there's a song on isolation drills called the brides of hit glass, um, which is another dark pop song. And I think you might really like that one. As long as it doesn't have dragons, Wayne will listen to it. There's not a dragon within it. 
a mile I'll of that way. It, it has dragons, but I'm going to prejudge it, and it's going to take even <laughs> more for it to come out overdo it. When I think dragons, I think Dio for some reason, and I don't even know if Dio did he ever have a song with a dragon in it. I I just I, I when I think dragons, I, I think I think Dio, yeah. Just the covers. Okay. The covers always, yeah, always look like it was demonic dragons, but maybe that's why. Yeah. All right, uh, Lane. What do you got for a score? Uh, Ten. Wayne. Seven. And this is my eleven. I liked it. I wish it was longer, though. Um, all right. Next song is much better, Mister Buckles. Mr. Buckles, not Mr. Bungle. That's the Mike <laughs> Patton group. Or Mr. Buggles. Maybe it's uh, dedicated to Trevor Horn. I guess it could have been. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 Uh, I feel like I've heard this song on the album already, though. Um, I, you know, and I didn't notice that, but I will say this. I want this to be about those kids who love Slipknot and wear those clothes with all the buckles. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want anybody to change my mind because there's like there's lines about the shifting ethic and packing up, employment wishes you well, uh, slow and unsure, unfurl your lips and call me. It just has all of these references. I was like, this is about those goddamn Slipknot fans. Well, and most of them are unemployed. So the kind nod of this employment wishes you well. That's right. Because you're getting fired. Get out of here. There's only so many jobs at Hot Topic. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have a 13-year-old daughter who has recently discovered Hot Topic, and now um, a pretty good portion of my income is going to Hot Topic. So I feel like I better lay low in this conversation. I don't know why Wayne is dissing on Hot Topic. He has bought a lot of T-shirts from Hot Topic. They do have T-shirts. Where you get your your T-shirts is no – there's no shame in your game. I'm just saying Hot Topic's not punk rock. But everybody – just to ease Lane's uh, mind – Every everybody's thirteen year old daughter starts by starts going to Hot Topic. They will out. They will outgrow. Yeah, my daughter never went there. She's not a Hot Topic person. Well, okay. All the cool kids. Lane. Well, d- just just know that the 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 force is strong in in uh, Mrs. Montgomery. We'll, we'll just put it <laughs> that way. <laughs> Fair enough. If you know what's good for you. That's right. All right. Uh, this is my two, Wayne. Three. And then Lane. This is my one. Um, there are a lot of good B-sides uh, for Do the Collapse. They they put out a Hold on Hope EP that had a bunch of them, and then they kind of repeated the same thing, but self-released it and called it um, Daredevil Stamp Collector. Um, so there's other songs that they recorded during the same sessions that are much better. And I just kept trying to mentally put them into this spot. Yeah. And I think it just mm-hmm. came down to the fact that none of the other ones fit M- much better. Mr. Buckles. It's not a bad song, but 
there's just not much yeah. to it, but I, I think it just fits better in the sequence than the other ones did. Gotcha. And I think that's always a consideration with them. You know, going back to their earlier albums, they were much more collagey and a lot of songs were chosen based on how they fit between two other things. And I think right. you kind of always have to bear that in mind with them. Gotcha. Yeah, there is good sequencing on this record for sure. Um, All right, next song is Wormhole. ask you on the lyrics so when he goes la 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 it's a lonely night was was that a placeholder for other lyrics like the breakup song from greg ken you guys know what i'm talking about oh yeah i don't know maybe maybe he just i don't like how that sounded there i don't know that's a good question it's it's hard to imagine him needing a placeholder lyric because he's just bursting with lyrics all the time yeah but so but yeah it it, that that is unique to this album and and pollard's catalog to have a la 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 in there you're right all right wayne you're you're uh i keep you around for the lyrical uh interpretation what do you got for this (laughs) did we lose wayne no i'm right here i'm sorry Okay. Anyway, he fell off his chair. Yeah, I, I always hit the cough button to do to. I don't want to hear you. You don't want to hear me drinking beer. But anyway, so I love the analogy of the story. The whole uh, he paints. You know, he gets it right out in front with the worm and the hawk, and he's got to get to this hole to be safe. And, and it's just it's a great it's a great I you know analogy of of be of getting to you have to get to that safe place. And you can only move so fast and there's, you know, there's predators on you. And, but ultimately he uses a lot of really like creepy, gross imagery, like zoo pies and mushrooms and worms. Um, and so that to some degree, and also a song that I, I once again, I do feel like I did maybe hear this previously, mm. but I like where he was going. But I'll, once again, he's also got this kind of sing songy style to it that I'm not a huge fan of, but, and this one, I still think Doug Gillard is, is just the star of the song. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Lane. Agree there. Wormhole. Great guitar solo. And uh, to, to follow up on what Lane, on what Wayne was saying about the lyrics, um, the payoff at the end is really good because the last thing he sings is to where the soil, um, well, he's, he's sung off the hook and down the drain and out to the other side to where the soil is rich and muddy in the riverbed feed on the urgent promise of the dead tonight. 
So the worm is being pursued by the hawk at the beginning and at the end it's it's eating a corpse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, the payoff the payoff on the this guns. song is 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 great. I, I love the last, you know, thirty seconds or so of this of this song. There's an eerie little sound at the end that I just love. I guess it's a synth, but there's just yeah, just one eerie little note at the end that's that's super cool. Yeah. All right. What do we got for scores, Wayne? Only a five, but like I say, once again, this wasn't a song I didn't like. I just I just sunk down. Yeah. And then Lane? I have it as a four. I I, I find myself wishing it could be higher, but it just um, that's just where it lands. Yeah. And this is my three. All right, next song is Strumpet Eye. I'm assuming that we're going to take it literally for the strumpet that that's a female prostitute. Yeah, I didn't. I where? Yeah, I did not. I where? Where in England? Or I guess I didn't know. I would think I would know songs about. (laughs) (laughs) Closer up my alley. Right now, I googled wow. it too. I thought I, I I was convinced that strumpet had to mean something, and I I was you know what Google let me down. All everything, the only thing that came up was this song. Were you thinking it was like tea and crumpets? Because that's totally no. Different. It just uh, I thought it was a completely made up word that because it just creates this image of this. You know, like I say, this is 1999, and yeah. all I see is this overweight girl in a sweater, possibly with a with a knit hat on, trying to get these pants on that don't fit her anymore. Uh, and I was like, there we go. Yeah. So the two definitions that I found were a female prostitute or a woman who has many casual sexual encounter encounters or relationships. Okay. Well, that second part is every girl from the nineties. So that makes, <laughs> that puts it into much more better context. Uh, but this is another one of the songs uh, that much like mushroom art right up there with mushroom art. I wanted, he gets, he gets the, the story started, but he never, he doesn't finish it. Comments made by co-host Wayne do not accurately reflect the <laughs> opinions of the host. All right, Lane, what do you got? I just I just keep repeating the phrase tea and strumpets in my mind now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it's just, a, you know, there again, it, it's just a cool sounding word, you know, and I, I think that's probably how he came to it. Um, and I... Isn't it Dazed and Confused that has the scene where the girl is lying um, backwards on the bed trying to pull her zipper up with pliers? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. That's that's a pretty appetizing image, I guess. But um, again, it's like um, Zupai. He seems to be talking about a character called Strumpet Eye, who is this girl. And um it's it's just a good rocker, you know. I I I'm more interested in the the music and the sound, and 
Um, I, I also did really like the that payoff lyric, um, dig a rare earth angel gone, um, because it, it kind of sounds like a compliment. You know, he said she got cheated in a romance. She can barely get into her own pants, which is kind of a, maybe a little bit of a put down. But she's a rare earth angel. And I guess dig a rare earth angel gone. It's like, well, you know, that girl's not around anymore, but she was pretty cool, you know. Don't so make like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So let's 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 pay tribute to her. So, yeah, it's 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 not the most substantial song on the album, but it's a good rocker. Um, yeah. Some fun background vocals on it. And uh, another one that that goes over real well live. Gotcha. Wayne, what do you got for score? Um, 12. All right. You can tell Wayne's had a couple of beers. Um, <laughs> hesitated on the score lane, your score. I've got an eight on this one. And this is my seven, which leads us to liquid Indian. this song a little more than Wayne and I do. How come? I saw them play this live along with several other of these songs. Hold on hope. I remember specifically. And I think strumpet. I, um, I saw them play it live in Chicago before the album came out and the, the chorus just hit me like a ton of bricks and it still does. I, I, um, even without the album production, seeing them play it live, um, just love that chorus. Um, and I like the contrast between the verse and the chorus. I think a lot of people feel like that it doesn't work and he's really trying to sort of put chalk and cheese together there. But um, the note that I have here, and you guys are going to laugh at this, but I have when doves cry meets love my way <laughs> to describe this song. You know, the, the, the beat of the the verse reminds me of when doves cry and then it goes into that soaring chorus and you know the lyrics are ridiculous but there again liquid indian is just a it's a cool phrase um do you want to know what or, the most, do you want to know what the most disgusting lyric is though there's no way you don't first of all i if i'm wrong i i, I will say but i know which one you're gonna say do it Soft gray orifice quivering. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no way around that. I will say this. The lyrics, they're either ridiculous or they're genius. Because just look at it from this instance. Um, If you say liquid Indian and if if he's referring to liquid uh, India ink, then you're talking about the same substance that, that, that created the Constitution is the same one that makes the Quaker seal of approval and coupons and stamps. If you put it in that context, like I say, maybe that's maybe either he's a genius or he just was putting words together that rhymed and either way, he still deserves something because structurally rhyming him like that makes it all sound better. But I got dirgy like verse with soaring chorus. Like the chorus is the complete is 
unbelievably the best part of the song. Like it really, like, even if I wanted to take everything else out, even my own, my own, my made up interpretation of the lyrics, I still, this song is, is near the top. It's, it's the chorus alone carries it. You guys haven't even brought up I'm a born again boot stomping witch humper. Oh, I was about to. Oh, yeah, okay. well, I I was going to take credit for being a born again boot stomping witch humper, but <laughs> I think that's that's a Netflix show now. Yeah, I almost born used that as witch humper. I almost used that as the introduction. I was like, eh, maybe that's oh, a little you absolutely should have. Okay, all right. Now to my first, well, not to my first wife, but definitely to my second wife, and my girlfriend probably would think it was funny. Do Do you want to re-record the intro? <laughs> <laughs> you can't go back in time, man. I'm, you can't go back. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, let's get some scores. Lane, what do you got? 16. All right, top score for Lane. Wayne, what do you got? 13. And this is my 10. And next song is Wrecking Now. a lot of moving parts to this song which is and, and lane you can you can vouch for this that's not really a guided by voices thing right like having all these moving parts to this song no no i i this doesn't sound like any other guided by voices song that i can think of it it it, it does kind of sound like a little um cuckoo clock or a room full of you know, wind up toys or something compared to, to a lot of their other songs. It's, it's cool. You know, it's, but it's, it it stands out for that reason. So I wrote down here and Wayne, you can, you can do a rebuttal when I say this. So we did an episode about television's debut record. And I feel like the guitar parts in this song are super television. Like there's a little bit of rhythm guitar as it comes into it. Um, but I feel like there's two lead guitars for most of the song. Yeah, and that it doesn't quite work as well as as they t- they no, t- mark no. you. But I don't. Um, and I I would if I had to bet money, I'd say they're both Doug Gillard. But it, to me, musically, this the 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 song once again it needs fattening up, and it it's it it has it has me, you know. It draws me in with this girl who can see right through you and knows all your vices. And she, you know, every guy turns to look at her and there's all of this, this ramp up. And then he, and then he, he just leaves. He just goes on to the next thing. Yeah. All right. Should we get some scores on this? Wayne, what do you got for wrecking now? Eight. And then Lane? Uh, Three. And this is my nine. And then next song is Picture Me Big Time. 
Longest song on the record clocks in at uh, four minutes, two seconds. So my question is, who's the band from Beantown that he keeps mentioning in this song? And I will say this before anyone has time to correct me. And if I'm wrong, I don't care. I say it's the Pixies. And he's talking about Kim Deal. And I say that and I use my my the proof of it by the last song, which is so fucking Pixies. Okay. All right. Are they from Boston? Yep. Okay. You know but who Kim else Deal is from? from Dayton originally. As as a band, yes. Which would and when you said that earlier, it only just reinforced my belief. Like I say, I don't have to be right. I don't make any money off this podcast. <laughs> That's true. That is a true statement. All right, uh, Lane. What do you got on this song? I love this one. Um, I've got a bunch of notes here in front of me that I'm trying to make sense of now. Um, I mean, first of all, the phrase picture me big time, is just an appropriate lyric for this record, you know, sure. because yeah. it's like we're getting inside of his head and imagining him, imagining him, imagining himself, you know, what if I really was big time? What if I really was a, a rock star? What would that be like? Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to imagine a guy that, not that he's an ugly guy or anything, but a guy that looks like him and had the image that he did at that time being a, a big rock star. Um, I like that the chorus is kind of a little story about, you know, the band from Beantown with the girl at the top of her lungs. Um, I love the way he sings. Um, I will deliver to you with so much range and, and force. Um, I feel like he's singing with really genuine feeling. Um there's just a kind of utopian rock and roll can bring the world together type of message in this song. Um, the lyrics uh, to one another in every place who speak like brothers and leave no trace of a world still divided by tongues. Yeah. The world's still divided by tongues, but there are world, there are words that speak to everyone, which I will deliver to you. So it's kind of a, a rock and roll Messiah moment, but uh, you know, he, he delivers on it. He, he sings it well. Yeah, and what I'll say too about the both those parts you mentioned about the girl, uh, was it the girl that's with, with that with sings the at the top, the top of her lungs? Her lungs. The, the yeah. guitar, the guitar that goes into that, and then mm-hmm. the same guitar part goes into deliver to deliver to you. Mm-hmm. Those are incredible, and they just add to that emotion that you're talking about. And this has originally when I heard it, it has this very Abbey Road White Album Beatles effect to it. But really, when you say influenced by the Beatles, you could be talking about anybody. But this song has a very, it does have a strong kind of Pixies feel to it. Um, But just in general, a really like 
indie rock, you know, a hard rocking song, like I say, but there are these great elements that I, when I, on my first couple of listens, it, it gave me a, definitely a later era Beatles kind of feel. Okay. Uh, this is my 13 Wayne. A 14. And then lane 15. All right. And then let's wrap this up. Here's last song. This is an unmarked product. shortest song on the record at a minute and eight seconds and Wayne it sounds like um, based off of the previous song that uh, you have some analysis for us well no it's just it fits perfectly with like say that song that sounds like they're talking to me they're 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 referencing the Pixies and Kim Deal and this this band that you would say in the late 90s that's the that's the group that the groups from the 90s we're trying to, I mean, that's Kurt Cobain was trying to write a uh, pixie song when he wrote smells like teen spirit and stuff like that. So, I mean, it fits in time-wise. I mean, the pixies were a, a darling of, of, of indie rock. I mean, where they may not have sold a lot of records. If you liked music, you love the pixies. And so, but it also has that very wave of mutilation sound to it. Um, and it has this anti-commercialism kind of, you know, message in this really short song, I originally had it lower because once again, he leaves me flat. But when you put it at the end, I, I, I accepted it better. Like a really short, sweet smack on the ass ending. <laughs> okay. Lane, what do you, <laughs> what, what do you got? That should be the next book about GBV, a short, sweet smack on the ass. Um, <laughs> that's mine. That's my biography's name. The, um, a short, sweet smack on the soft gray orifice. Um, sorry, I had to say it. Um, so these first couple lines are, are, to me, are pretty transparently about what his life was like as a musician before he was discovered. Um, you know, an unmarketed product is shining clear for many years. You know, there are lots of stories about him having 500 albums printing up and selling 50 of them. And, you know, the rest of them were just sitting in his basement gathering dust. And and he kind of thought he was on to something. But um, everybody he played his music for um, around Dayton thought he was just weird and not very good. And um, it, it was devastating to him for a long time. And, you know, obviously he found his audience. Um, and then it switches up pretty quickly to, I think, like like Wayne said, anti-commercial or a very cynical take on this idea of reaching for the brass ring or, you know, picturing themselves big time. You know, I can give you credit suitable and custom tailored. And if you have any luck, you'll get ahead before you're dead, you know. So, you know, if, if it's pop songs you want, I can give you pop songs that, that sound pretty and, you know, maybe maybe with some luck we'll get ahead, you know, and maybe not. But um, we're going to give it a shot, you know, so there's a I, I just hear a little bitter cynicism there before the record has even had a chance to do whatever it's going to do. You know, he doesn't know how it's going to be received. Um, he doesn't know if ultimately he's going to feel like he's sold out or something, but, um, 
he's already um, he's conscious of selling out before it has a chance to happen, I guess. Right. Right. If that makes any sense. No, it does. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's get some scores and finish this up. Let's uh, go first to the boot stomping witch humper for his <laughs> score. 11. All right. And then Lane. Um, I've, I've got it as a two, you know, and I, I like the song, but I just like everything else better. Yeah. And this was my one and I didn't really like the song. <laughs> so, all right. Um, this is usually where I say, did we, did we capture everything? Did we miss anything? I would struggle to know what. I don't think we missed anything. One thing that I did want to bring up though, that I thought was kind of tantalizing, but you know, obviously could never happen now um, I read an interview with Pollard from the onion around this time. And he said, um, Oh, we're playing around with the idea of doing a GBV greatest hits where we re-record them with Rick Ocasek. <laughs> and uh, I thought, gotta love the onion. I well, no, I mean, this was like the legitimate part of the onion. Um, oh, okay. The, the, the AV club. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, it's credited to the onion, but it's, it was the AV club. So it wasn't, oh, it was, okay. it wasn't right. a joke. Yeah. It was, it was a real interview. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, you know, yeah, sign me up, take my money. I'll buy that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a purist when it comes to, um, lo-fi GBV. I, I would love to hear them re-record their songs with Ocasek. So um, I, I wish that that could have come to fruition, but you know, who knows, maybe that was the only time he ever said that. And then it was never spoken of again, but, uh, right, right. it's just an exciting, an exciting possibility. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's look at our scores and figure out what our top five is. Uh, any guesses on number one? Picture me big time. Teenage FBI. Uh, surgical focus surgical focus was one oh, yeah. uh, av- average score of 15.33 picture me big time average score of 14 that was our second teenage fbi 13.66 average score that, so that was our third and then liquid indian and hold on hope that rounds out our top five that's a solid five solid yeah like anybody who doesn't know this band that have heard the name, if they listen to those five songs, I would, they would listen to more. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Uh, Lane, this was fun. Yeah. This yeah. Was fun. Yeah. I thought so too. Thanks guys. I, I appreciate you having me on. I, I enjoyed it and I'd love to come back and do another one sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah, and you were, cool. and you were definitely the one who, uh, you're you're like, uh, hey, if you guys ever do a GBV episode, uh, I'm down. I'm like, all right, come on. So. <laughs> I would say the same about Sloan. If you guys ever do Sloan, that's that's probably my second oh, favorite band. I'm so probably the only other person outside of Canada that knows that name knows that band. Oh, yeah. I love them. Yeah, just I, uh, I saw them. Love uh, them. They came to Indianapolis right before COVID. So mm. that was my, that was my last pre-pandemic hurrah was Sloan. Gotcha. All right. Nice. Well, uh, Lane, Lane, uh, tell, tell our listeners where they can find all your happenings. Well, um, I don't have my Facebook and Twitter handles memorized, but, um, you can find me on Facebook and on Twitter. If you want to follow me on social media, 
And I always link my show there. Um, my show originates from Spreaker, but you can listen to it on Apple and Podcast Addict and Stitcher and anywhere you listen to podcasts, as they say. Perfect. All right. And as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to all those platforms as well. Uh, you can find our happenings on our Facebook page. Just search for Records Revisited Podcast or on Twitter at Podcast Records. Wayne Man's the Instagram whenever he gets off his lazy ass and actually posts something on there. I'm, I'm backed up. I knew you were going to do that. I got you. <laughs> I've been listening to the Black Rose. Well, get get on it, get on it. You see, all right, all right, Uh, and of course, on all those platforms, go subscribe and also rate and review us. So, thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but you know the drill right now. So, go support your favorite musicians. I'm sure they're doing a Facebook live or an Instagram live or YouTube live. Uh, Go support them, Venmo them some money, PayPal them some money. You know the drill. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. If you're going to visit a record store, please wear a mask. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. Out. Out.